Welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for June 10th, 2022. Uh, not at all a slow week in legal tech news. Lots to talk about today. Uh, in particular, uh, uh, unless you've been living under a rock or in a cave, uh, this week, you've no doubt heard about uh, the uh, probably the top story of the week, which was uh, Affinipay's, uh, the parent company of LawPay's acquisition of MyCase, along with the whole MyCase family of, of companies, Case Pierce, Saluna, Woodpecker, and Docketwise. So we are going to be joined today by the CEOs of those two companies to discuss the deal, answer some questions. Uh, but before I get to them, let's do our normal uh, introduction of the panelists. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites and have the podcast Law Next, which, by the way, we also had Drew and Jim on my podcast this week. So this is a twofer for me. I really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, Nikki, where, where do you work? What do you do? <laughs> Good question. Uh, my name is Nikki Black. I'm the legal technology evangelist with my case, Law Practice Management Software. Um, I write legal technology columns for ABA Journal Above the Law, the Daily Record, and I sometimes write for the MyCase blog as well. And uh, back from vacation after a couple of weeks uh, away, Zach Warren. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, hey, everybody, I'm Zach Warren. I'm editor-in-chief of ALM's Legal Tech News. It means you'll also see my writing on law.com, the American Lawyer, Corporate Council, etc. Um, yeah, I was in Bolivia for a few weeks, but back in Minnesota, and now actually warmer here than it was in Bolivia, which doesn't make much sense, but I'll take it. Sounds good. Uh, and uh, Gino Grady, you've been away too. Welcome back. Yeah, well, that, I was away due to technology problems. I was working off a broken Acer, so I'm back. <laughs> good. Uh, I um, am a, uh, I guess, a, an attorney and a legal knowledge strategist. I write the Dewey B Strategic blog, which covers um, legal information, workflow products, and cover your ears, Bob. Last week, I, I had my first column on Legal Tech Hub. I'm going to be writing a monthly column for uh, Legal Tech Hub. Yes, you've gone to the dark side. I, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, Victor, how about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I am assistant managing editor for the ABA Journal covering business of law and technology. And uh, no, I, I, I am not affiliated with the law office of Statler and Waldorf, but I will note that it says that we're not half bad. We're all bad. And I do I do um, ascribe to that. So sounds good. And uh, Steve Embry. Hi, uh, Steve Embry here. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads and uh, am also a practicing attorney, although not as much as I used to be. And last but certainly not least, Joe Patrice. Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. I was also out last week uh, at Disney World, uh, so I am back and as they say, burned, tired and ready. I think that's the phrase. <laughs> uh, and since we're talking about t-shirts, this is my non-lawyer t-shirt, uh, if anybody didn't get that. Uh, uh, thanks to the folks at Logical for that. I really appreciate it. Um, well, uh, again, uh, we're, we're really thrilled to have uh, some guests this week joining us to talk about the top news of the week. Uh, we're joined by Drew Armstrong, CEO of Affinipay, and Jim McGinnis, the uh, CEO of my case, and now the president in, of growth initiatives at Affinipay, uh, who are here to uh, tell us a little bit about 
uh, give us a little background on the news and, and take a couple of questions. If you have questions that you'd like to put to them, go ahead and drop them in the chat and we'll be keeping an eye on that and glad to uh, pass those along to them as well. But uh, Drew and Jim, thanks so much for joining us. And, and Drew, maybe we can start with you and uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about why you did what you did this week. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you everyone for having uh, have me having me on the panel today. Um, it's my first time on, so uh, go easy on me, as they say. Um, you know, the the story of LawPay and um, my case coming together has felt very serendipitous and like a match made in heaven. And I think um, I joined Affinapay 11 months ago. Bob, I think you were one of the first people I spoke to in the industry. And from the get-go, um, a big part of what we've been thinking about at Affinapay and LawPay is, you know, how else can we serve our customers, right? We have 50,000 plus law firms. Um, we really built and invented the digital payments category. We've been innovating in that category with solutions like um, client credit. And we said, you know, how else can we serve these customers? And for us, it felt like such a natural evolution to be able to tie the financial needs of our clients' practices with the business needs. And so that led us through the process of really looking at the broader legal tech landscape, um, evaluating the different platforms out there. We really look for um, platforms and companies that have the same ethos around being simple yet powerful. It's one of the hallmarks of, of LawPay. And frankly, it's why we fell in love with um, my case, the platform and the company. Um, I think, you know, for us, it was first and foremost, being able to integrate payments with the digital invoice, help reconcile um, the, you know, to back to the accounting platform, but then also equally, I think you guys, you guys know Jim and Nikki, right? I mean, they're, it's an amazing team. It's an amazing culture. And honestly, from day one, it felt like um, a match made in, I'm going to use uh, Jim's term, in legal heaven. Um, so it's been a really fun process. The deal went really quickly, but I think that's what happens when you find two great companies that just see the world the same way and see putting customers first and, and frankly, have the opportunity to really innovate together um, and be better together. Yeah. And uh, Jim, how about, how about you? What's uh, what's what's uh, this mean to you? What's, what's your perspective on it? Yeah, I'm super excited. I woke up yesterday morning as a CEO and went to bed as a president. So there's a little <laughs> bit of change for me, uh, but uh, couldn't be more excited for my team and and uh, to partner with Drew and the entire Affinafam, as they call them. Uh, you know, we've been on a, a roll there in my case for 18 months or so uh, with the acquisition of four great companies in Saluno, Case Pier, Woodpecker, and Docketwise. Bob. They roll off your tongue as easily as they do mine now. So I really appreciate that. Um, and also some great integrations with, uh, gosh, we just launched Connect this week. Uh, Lex, Ruby, Smith AI, uh, MailChimp, and others. So uh, in addition to that, we've had some great innovation with MyCase Drive and about to launch uh, accounting. So we're on a roll. We're doing great. And then uh, we had the opportunity to connect up with the FinnaPay, particularly LawPay. And while we've been working hard on payments, we know that their fintech expertise is just uh, worlds ahead of where we would ever be able to go. So the combination of the very best all-in-one legal practice management solution with the leader in payments 
just seems like a natural fit. And so far it's been fantastic. Uh, the attention we've gotten, the, uh, the enthusiasm, the congratulations that we're getting, it just feels uh, even more today than yesterday that it's a great fit. So can't wait to go forward. Well, I, I, I think Joe Patrice described it as like, was it uh, gin and tonic, Joe? Is I, that what it was? And I, and I think Drew Drew had tequila and, and uh, seltzer water or something. So I, I did lots of, lots of, uh, lots of, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, a couple of chances to talk to you this week. I, I don't, I'm not sure to what extent everybody else has uh, on the panel. So I'm wondering just among, among the panelists, any, any questions, comments uh, that you'd like to bring up? I had a general question, and I guess this is this is more for Jim, I guess. So obviously, I mean, you guys have been in expansion mode at my case over the last you know few months, and I assume that those deals, as well as this deal with Affinipay, has been they've been in the works for months and months. So how do you balance just in general, like when you know when you're you know when you were CEO of my case, how did you balance like those acquisitions and 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 that growth while you're in the process of possibly being acquired by another company? I was just, I was just curious how that how that how that worked. Yeah, we were very, very busy, as you can imagine. Um, I am I'm fortunate to be surrounded by just an outstanding team. People like Nikki, who's employee number one. Uh, we've got a great sales leader in Steven Seal, uh, Silverbach, Jim Yang, uh, Nathan Pace, who's been my CFO. So just a great team of people who uh, help carry the day-to-day -day while we work on some of these other things. And then, you know, we're really a house of brands, so I still very much support and rely upon the great leadership of the entrepreneurs of the companies we've acquired. People like Alan and Gabriella and Jeremy Peskin and Alex Maheli at uh, Woodpecker. So uh, it's uh, it's possible because we have such a great team. And kind of to that end, the, the expansion mode is something that definitely interests me too. I haven't gotten a chance to talk to either of you because Isha Marath covered for us, but I'm just kind of curious what the future looks like together now, where exactly your uh, R&D investment dollars are planning on going and what are some of the products you're particularly focused on moving forward now that you're together? Yeah, I think it's a great question. So, you know, I think one of the things that um, you look at each business, each business is more than doubled in the past two years. I think law pay, we're really quiet about what we've been able to do in the marketplace, but um, we've been on a tremendous growth ride and obviously just loved what Jim and team have been able to do with my case, you know, to carve it out and to do as many acquisitions they did. I think the real answer is like, Jim just doesn't value sleep. Um, he just doesn't need it as a human being. And so that's part of his secret sauce and what he signed up for here. Um, but, you know, as you look forward, I mean, I think the thing for us that was just really a light bulb moment was this idea that, you know, lawyers really solve first their need to get paid. Right. And we really help them solve that burden of chasing the invoice. We know that there's still a huge time to value challenge in terms of being able to actually collect on the work that they do and that they invoice for. Um, and the number two piece of technology they're usually putting in place is a digital invoice tied to digital matter management, right? Oftentimes they were calling us at LawPay saying, hey, we love your payments platform. We love that we can um, digitize a lot of our payment volume and get um, paid that much faster, almost 40% faster. But like, what LPM do you recommend? Because we really want to connect it to the rest of our technology stack. 
And so we have out of our, um, now it's 65,000 combined law firms. We have 30,000 of them that haven't adopted legal practice management yet. Um, and we know through survey work that about 40% of them are going to be adopting legal practice management in the next two years. And they told us that they're very likely to take our recommendation, right? Um, and I think the truth is, like, it's all the day-to-day -day workflow of, of a lawyer as they're trying to do, frankly, the business of law. And they don't really think well, gosh, there's the LPM that gives me my invoice and there's my digital payments to get paid on it. They think I want to send an invoice and get paid on it. Right. Um, and so I think you can see this convergence based on like what the actual end customer or attorney wants in their day to day so that they can do more of what matters. Right. Which is you get paid, you get hours back and then you can take on more clients, drive more client outcomes. Um, I, my, I'm the product of a attorney and he had, my dad had a small practice. Um, I went to law school, I passed the bar. Um, I am non-practicing obviously, but like the, some of the pain points that attorneys still face as they try to be both entrepreneurs and attorneys are still there. And so I think what you're going to see is Number one, us, um, you know, this is all about growth and innovation, right? And so we have a really robust, what I would call embedded fintech roadmap, um, where we're saying, like, what else is going on in the financial services technology world? How do we bring that in to solve really unique pain points for attorneys? There's no one else really doing that, which is really fun and cool. We own our own tech stack. There's a lot of investment that's gone into to our ability to innovate, I think you see the same thing on the my case side and across the product suite. Um, and what I, I think people can expect is just us finding new ways to innovate and, and really solve the pain points of our attorneys by bringing the platforms together, right? No one's really stepped back and been able to say, you know, if I really own the fintech platform and I really own the workflow platform, like what value can I unlock either from an automation, from a data and intelligence perspective, from a bringing in new solution sets. And so that's a huge part of what you're going to see us focused on is, is growth and, and really delivering for our customers. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that you mentioned in there actually bleeds into what I was uh, focused on is one of the talking points here is that there is this wide swath of solos and smalls that don't have any of this uh, any, at this point, uh, which, you know, it, so it's a fertile ground for growth. And I guess this is a bad question because the, the whole Nate the whole fact this deal happened means they kind of tips the hand of the answer. But you, so you see, obviously you see some, you know, you, you see room there. Uh, yeah. And is it largely because, do you think a lot of these folks, like I, some of us sit back and think some of these people who have not yet opted in are Luddites who are just never gonna get the memo. But you see that, I guess anecdotally, that these are folks who've already kind of uh, several of them, at least, are people who have already crossed the Rubicon of getting a pay software, uh, which kind of it's it's almost like their foot in the door and that this is kind of like teasing them across the line into the 21st century. Yeah, well, I think it's a great question. And the I came out of the last company I ran was a vertical software company in the real estate space. And so it was really fun getting to watch that industry dramatically change over five years. 
And I actually think it's, um, and I studied economics way back in the day, and it's like, usually people are rational decision makers, right? And so there's a reason um, people haven't adopted something or aren't using something. And let's just say, you know, attorneys aren't stupid, right? So let's start with that kind of core premise is like at the end of the day, I actually think it's incumbent on the technology providers to make the case, right? And I think what you usually see in industries, and I had a head of product who used to say this to me all the time, is like, we dramatically... Over and overestimate the rate of change in technology, but we significantly underestimate the magnitude of change, right? So you think about what's gone on in the consumer world, right? There are these tipping points, right? And you think Uber's a great example. Like it wasn't that Travis Kalanick was the first guy to think, oh gosh, I wish I could get a cab from my phone, but it's suddenly enough people had phones, right? There was an ability to align the drivers who could use the phones to be booked and you could create a true marketplace, right? And so I think what happens in these B2B vertical markets, which is like a fancy way to say legal, right? Where you're really focused on a specific set of customers, you're not trying to be horizontal, everything to everyone, is like the technology gets to a point where it really can create lift in a practice. And it gets so simple and so powerful and people are chipping away and making it really, really easy to use. Like an attorney that calls us today, like they can be live with a digital payment solution in under an hour, right? It's so fast. It's so easy. They could have someone like, I need to wait. And that's full underwriting process. You're live, you're taking credit cards. It's on your website like the world knows. And so I think part of what we're going to see is the ability to really generate those meaningful business outcomes is going to start to, to, the case is really going to be there, right? And you also have, frankly, people become attorneys really young, right? And that means they start practices really young. And so you've got a lot of tailwinds um, the other piece that we saw is even if you're, you know, not a Gen Z or starting a, a practice, the end clients trying to pay them are increasingly expecting to have digital um, methodologies to do that. And I think that broadens out to the other parts of the client and client experience. And so, you know, I think when I look ahead, you know, we fully expect a lot more technology adoption over the next five years. Um, and the data that I've looked at is about 60% of solo and small firms um, have adopted a payment, a digital payment solution, right? Um, we have about 40% market share. The rest is really non-compliant horizontal solutions like fine, I'll take something, I'll use PayPal. Um, so there's still growth there, but the legal practice management market's only about 30% vended. Right. And so I think you're hitting that tipping point of first I saw the payment solution. Now we're going to make the case for if you attach a digital invoice, we know it's twice as likely to get paid digitally. And you may say, well, Drew, that's that that's good for you because you make money on that. But the truth is, it's good for an attorney. Right. We know attorneys that have a digital invoice combined with a digital payment solution get paid 40 percent more on what they invoice. Right. We've got this massive problem of people doing all this unbelievably valuable work for their clients and yet having to write down the invoices, chase the invoices, doing manual payment plans. We know that about 25% of invoice volume actually gets completely written off by law firms. And so I think you're going to have law firms that, or lawyers who have evaluated it and keep thinking about it. And at some point it's going to tip over into like, 
oh, this is actually really going to benefit me. Like I'm going to get to like, I'm going to get paid more. I'm going to be able to take on more clients. Like frankly, Drew and Jim and Nikki have made it so much easier for me that fine, you've won me over. Right. And we saw that happen in payments. I think you're going to continue to see it in the, um, in the other areas of legal technology. Yeah. There's a, there was a question uh, from the audience. It might be, it might want to put to, to Jim here. Just, it was, uh, says legal tech mergers, acquisitions, and uh, whoops, it just came off my screen. <laughs> legal tech mergers, acquisitions, and partnerships have proved to be strategic for the parties involved as of late. How did the light bulb go off between both of you that this route would prove to be successful as opposed to competing against each other in your previous verticals? And, and that's particularly pertinent, I think, Jim, because you had a payment solution. You had developed your own uh, native payment solution. So so how did how did that light bulb go off for you? Uh, that's a great question. So I was throwing resources against um, uh, updating and improving our payments uh, platform. And I always felt like I was chasing law pay. Um, but I needed to do it. I wanted to do it because I felt like integrated payments uh, really was the future for my case. Uh, and then uh, we were introduced to each other. And uh, I got to know a little bit about law pay's business and frankly, Affinipay's broader business. And uh, it became very apparent that uh, by combining, uh, we would we would get to work together, and I would get to take advantage for my case's customers of LawPay's innovation and platform. Uh, the other thing that uh, really set me off was the only way you can get my case payments is by starting with my case. What LawPay does really really well is a lot of firms want to start with payments, and so they have an enormous number of firms that have only really payments and don't have uh, practice management software. So. When we thought about how we could cross sell into each other's bases and then continue to innovate for new customers uh, with each of our expertises, it just felt like um, I just couldn't imagine a better combination, honestly. I'll add one more thing if you'll allow me sure. to cultures. Um, <laughs> one of the things that makes us really different is the two companies are coming together and every single MyCase employee and all of our related families are now going to be part of the Athena fam. So to find another company that had the values and culture that I tried to build at MyCase uh, made it just obvious that we should come together. Wait, is Affinafam the official term here? I just want to make sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. When you join Affinapay, you join the Affinafam. Honestly, Fair you, enough. Can, you can Affina anything. We Affina celebrate. <laughs> we, we have Affina swag. We So it's... Uh, um, it's like a core part of our culture. And I will tell you to Jim's point, it sounds like we work the way you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> only in a good way, only in a good way. <laughs> right. Um, and, and look, the truth is, um, we've, I think Jim and I have both worked on a lot of, of mergers and acquisitions and not all are created equal. Right. And I think usually you can have all the best synergies and the best intentions. Um, uh, but it's really about the team. And so I will tell you, you know, one of the things that was kind of a prerequisite for us at Affinapay was that we could see cultural alignment and the ability to really put the customer first, you know, and with that comes putting our team first. And so um, every single um, my caser got a welcome letter. Um, it was really important that they were signed up. We need their expertise. We need their ability to innovate. We need their market knowledge. 
Um, and we just think we truly are better together as one team of, of almost 500 team members strong. So it's, it's super excited, exciting. Like yesterday was just celebrations all across the country with our team. Like they really, I want to say the, my casers has, have forced us to up our GIF game, right? The number of celebratory, uh, GIFs that I've seen is, um, you know, truly awe-inspiring. I didn't even appreciate, um, exactly what I was getting when, uh, when they all joined but it's been super exciting and uh, you can just feel for for the team that they're very excited about what's to come. That's great. Now, I have a question about the write-offs issue, Drew. You mentioned before that, that one of the biggest problems is write-offs. And from my experience in larger law firms, th that often arises because of client retention letters. And is that something that's dealt with in either of your companies where you help lawyers write better time entries and they get coded better so that, or you actually even have an understanding of what is, what are the things that the client won't pay for so, so people don't waste their time on them? Are either of you tackling that issue to make the, the bills more payable? So I will, so that was a big piece that we saw when we went out and tried to really understand what we would call the customer journey, right? And I would say in the solo and small space, there still is a real um, invoice write-off challenge. You know, one is absolutely that accurate timekeeping, and that's a big core part of what the MyCase platform eases the administrative burden, right, where you're really able to do fulsome matter management. There's a lot of hidden complexity there, and, then, and yet when you're in that platform, it actually feels really simple and easy to use, and that's been a huge part of the investment that's been made over the past 18 months is to really almost like hide the complexity behind the scenes. So for the attorney, it's very, feels very native and, and easy to use. So, uh, you know, I'll just hum a few bars on the client credit piece, if you don't mind. And I know BNPL is really trendy, depending on the week, it's either good news or bad news. Apple's coming out with their own. Um, but, you know, one of the things we were very aware of is the manual payment plans that our attorneys were doing to try to collect those invoices, right? So one part of it is make sure you get accurate timekeeping, um, you know, make sure that you're able to get the invoice out in a timely fashion. The longer it sits there, the less likely it is an attorney um, can get paid. That's why that whole practice management piece is key. But we also found that, um, you know, there are, there are uh, clients who genuinely don't have the credit or the cash to pay the invoices. And so a buy now, pay later solution is actually perfectly designed for that, where um, we partnered with a firm, which is confusing in the legal market, but it's A-F-F-I-R-M, um, which is the, the, they actually invented the buy now, pay later category almost a decade ago. Um, we went through multiple partners to vet ones that could handle bigger ticket items. Um, so a firm is famous because they do all of the buy now, pay later for Peloton. Um, and so we wanted a partner that really knew the market could do a longer and larger financing option. And so we have about a thousand customers live today. We just crossed over a million in volume on the Affirm product, which we're calling client credit. And what it really is, is those bigger ticket items that, you know, the end client could actually really not afford to pay. Our attorneys were putting in place. 
Excel spreadsheets where they were then having to every month be like, don't forget to send me 500 bucks, right? To chip away at your, you know, your $5,000 payment associated with your legal bill. And this has been a godsend, right? Because it totally removes the attorney from having to sit in the middle. Um, it sits alongside all of the, it's kind of like getting a credit card, right? It sits totally alongside all of the other payment options. The end client gets approved for the loan. The lawyer gets fully funded upfront um, and then they're out of it. And now it's a lending relationship between the end client and a firm um, and they're able to pay that over time. And so I think that's a really good example of you actually need not just the LPM to help solve the invoicing and timekeeping piece, but there are also pieces that I think um, FinTech can help solve and bridge the gap that are these additional lending products um, that really are very common outside in our consumer lives, you know, in other verticals. Um, and so we think it's really exciting to be able to kind of marry the two together. Um, so we're, we're chipping away at it. Like our goal is like our clients do incredibly valuable work, right? I grew up you know, uh, watching my dad really look to serve his clients and, and we really want them to get paid for the work that they do. Yeah. Steve, did you have any questions? I haven't gotten to you yet. Uh, no, I guess I was just wondering, uh, where you guys plan on going. It sounds like you're, you're have been historically sort of both directed toward smaller law firms and solos, but do you see a place for, uh, a market for larger firms, not not big law firms, you know, not not Amlaw two hundred or one hundred, but there's a, a whole slew of firms that you know are not are not small and they're not big and they perform a lot of valuable services and they have a tremendous amount of headaches around the kind of services that you guys provide. So one of the things that we don't talk enough about at LawPay is we're actually the leader in mid-market and big law payments. So we have 40% of the AmLaw 200 as clients and who are using their our digital payment platform. Um, we're displacing a number of the old school banks that really hadn't been investing in technology. And so you know, we're seeing that um, there's a lot of relevance in terms of digitizing uh, financial services to the, the mid-market and the enterprise segment. Um, and so, you know, one, we're absolutely committed to that part of the market. Um, we acquired client pay uh, about 15 months ago, which had been the leader. And when you combine that with um, our, you know, kind of just consistently growing in that segment, um, it's now really a core market for us. I'd say today we have wonderful partners that we're really committed to that we serve that market with, right? So we're really closely par partnered with Adderant, Thomson Reuters, Centerbase, Litify, um, just to name a few. And so we feel like there, there's a really strong, um, better together story with our partners. I would say on the flip side, something to think about on my case, you know, part of their story has been, um, which is just, I think, totally attributable to Jim's vision for, um, for, for my case is when they were in Appfolio, um, the great thing was Appfolio heavily invested in the product. They're very much an engineering-led organization. But on the flip side, they tried to apply real estate lenses to the legal market, which just to say that out loud sounds pretty stupid. Um, and so like that platform actually goes well above the size of firms um, that, that they were allowed 
to sell to, right? Um, and and so just a lot of odd decision making in terms of making the solution available to the segment of the market um, that really would need it and love it. And so a big part of what um, Jim, as president of growth, and Stephen Silverbach, who's our new chief sales officer and knows the legal market very well, um, you know, a big part of their mandate is to make sure that all the way up to you know, the upper end of the small and into the lower end of the mid market that those firms are aware of what a more fulsome solution we have now that we're bringing together my case and, and law pay. So totally see what you're seeing, which is, look, every segment of this market needs technology and is adopting it at different rates and the solution sets are different. Um, and so we're really committed to making sure that we're kind of serving the entire market and, and our customers in those segments. There's one of one question that the the one question that I have been asked the most about this from others is is actually one I asked you in our podcast yesterday, but I'll ask you again for those who haven't listened to that, which is I, I mean law pay has kind of been Switzerland in the practice management world, uh, and, and now you're you've not just joined NATO, you've taken over one of the warring countries effectively. Uh, what, what does this mean? Whoa, 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 whoa! That's <laughs> slow down. That is way too many metaphors. Real quick. I was like, I don't. Is this going in a good direction? <laughs> but I'll, I'll I'll hear you I, out. Well, it's well, I mean. You know, obviously, you have partnerships with all sorts of other practice yeah. management companies out there, and and the question I keep hearing is, what happens to all those other partnerships with those other companies now that you are now that you own yeah. what is one of the major competitors in this market, and you're partnering with companies that are competitors of my case? What happens? How does that play out? So I think it's a great it's a great question, and I'll answer it in two different ways, and then I'll let. Um, I'll let Jim weigh in. So for, first of all, I mean, I think if you put the customer first, right, that really lends you to a customer choice mindset, right? And that's been foundational. It's like in the DNA of LawPay, right? Was this idea that we really wanted to play well with everyone. We wanted to be every, you know, be able to integrate with every part of a lawyer's technology, chosen technology stack, um, which is why we've always been incredibly partner friendly. Um, and I would say I personally spoke to many partners over the past two days, everything from head on direct competitors, they already are, in, they're in the solo small space, they launched a competing payment solution, we renegotiated an agreement. And they were like, it's, you know, it's war when it comes to payments, but let's make sure we're still friendly partners because we want to use the integration and that's super critical. So everything from that situation all the way up to people who are like, look, we're serving, you know, the AMLA 200 in my case is definitely not a competitor to us. And everyone agreed that us being able to continue our partnership and put our customers first is absolutely the right choice, right? And so it's something that we're gonna remain committed to. We're actually gonna be building out more APIs because selfishly in order to give a full customer experience inside the MyCase platform and the Saluno platform and the DocuWise platform and the CaseBear platform, like we have to build APIs for parts of our platform that have never been available to, to partners. And I think with the right partners, we're gonna make those 
available, right? And you look at kind of the APIs we make available. There are multiple partners who actively choose not to integrate really cool, important parts of our platform because they want to disadvantage us, right? So our view is we're going to continue to put the customer first. We're going to continue to invest in APIs. And we hope that everyone else in the ecosystem does the same thing. I'd say we are here to earn and win the love, the hearts, the minds of our customer, right? And you can't buy them. You can't force them. I've seen competitors and multiple markets do that over and over again. And so you just will not see those tactics. Like our customers, our lawyers, they don't care about legal tech wars. They care about their clients driving great outcomes. They care about getting paid for the work they do. I mean, you know, that's the business we're in. And so the last thing we ever want to do is make our customer, like put them in the middle of something. If anything, we want to put them first and, and give them real choice. And then I would say, I think the other piece that, that everyone should think about is like, you know, we take the market leadership uh, responsibility very seriously. Right. And we are truly like 65,000 law firms served plus, right, over 200,000 attorneys served. And so I think our view is we're not in the business of creating a walled garden. Um, the market is very large. It's still in its first, second, third inning. And so part of what we're going to be doing is like really hopefully setting the tone um, and giving everyone the opportunity to be great participants in the broader ecosystem. And I heard that from many of the CEOs that I talked to over the past couple of days is even if they're competitors with us, they feel like this is going to be great for the market and they get that we're going to put customer choice first and, and, you know, ultimately a rising tide will lift all boats when it comes to technology and being partner friendly. Sounds good. Jim, did you want to uh, add anything to that? No, I just couldn't agree more. Uh, it's all about customer choice. Uh, we're a big believer in the micro segment. So if you're a personal injury, there's no better solution than K-Sphere. If you're into immigration, uh, primarily, there's no better solution than DocketWise. But we're building uh, uh, integrations. In fact, today we launched our integration with LawPay, which is very exciting. Uh, just last month, we launched our integration with DocketWise for those firms that want a more general practice management solution, but need uh, Jeremy's great forms and, and capabilities. So uh, it's all about an open platform. And uh, when we uh, uh, when we launch accounting next month, we know that we will have the very best all-in-one platform with my case, uh, the most complete. And and that's very exciting. But uh, we'll, we'll continue to serve customers and let them pick the tech stack that works best for them. All right. Well, I, I know I kept you longer than I promised you that I would do. And I really appreciate your hanging on. Any, anybody on the panel, any last comments, questions, anything before we let them go? All right. Well, Drew and Jim, congratulations on this. And thank you so much for being with us today to talk about it. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for letting us join your amazing panel. We loved it. It was so fun. It was great. Thanks. See ya. Thanks, Bob. All right. Take care. And, and you guys so. can feel free to just drop off at this point. But uh, all right. All right. Uh, all right. To, uh, to the matters at hand. Um, all right, now what do we really think? <laughs> now, I was half thinking to myself,
should I ask a question about whether all Infinipay meetings will be in the virtual realm with avatars? But I figured for <laughs> Nikki's sake, I would let that go. I've been pushing really hard. We'll see what happens. <laughs> or, or, or would it be Affinitars? Affinitars. Why do they have to have TikTok accounts? <laughs> yeah. The other question I have been hearing a lot, actually, that I didn't ask because I know they wouldn't answer it because I already asked them this, but uh, is how much did they pay? <laughs> uh, what are the terms of the deal? I've, I've heard some numbers being floated around out there that uh, suggest, uh, in my case, as investors had a pretty good return on their on their investment, but uh, we don't, we will probably never know for sure. Uh, well, I, we took up a lot more time than that than I had intended to, uh, but uh, other stuff happened this week, as as it as it as it turns out. Um, any, anybody uh, chomping at the bit to talk about their story this this week uh, before I start uh, pointing at people? Anybody want to raise their hand? Sure, I can raise my hand just because it's a little more time sensitive, but also I thought it was fun. Um, there was a case or there still is a case out of New York where attorneys served uh, somebody via NFT. Uh, the way that that happened is it was basically about eight million worth of virtual currency and virtual assets that was stolen off of an Ethereum blockchain. Um, obviously, they tried to cover their tracks in the blockchain, so they couldn't really uh, be traced or served or anything. Eventually, they kind of got it down. Maybe they're in Ireland, maybe they're in Luxembourg. But the judge said, well, if there's any other way that you can try and seize these assets, go for it. So it was two Holland and Knight attorneys that basically created a specialized NFT that goes on the blockchain where all of these assets were held and basically says, if you're seeing this, then you have X number of days to try and say why these assets shouldn't be seized. And the judge said, yes, if they're going in there, then they're going to see that. If they're not going in there, then it's very purposeful and kind of drew an analogy that it's somebody who sees an email but purposefully doesn't open it so they don't get served. Um, so because of that, the judge said, yeah, I think that counts as uh, attempt to seize these assets. So, it, I mean, we talk a lot about blockchain, NFTs, what is it good for? But I thought that was kind of a unique way to actually use this technology in a legal application. And also good on the judge for doing the research and accepting that this is something that can actually be done as well. Is it like a bored ape, like handing over a summons? Is that what, <laughs> what I wish NFT? it was? No, okay. I think it was just mostly a hyperlink that they dropped in there. But if it was an actual photo, that'd be so much more fun. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And it, it's, it's like, a, um, I mean, if what's the analogy? I just, I lost my, I had an analogy in my mind, but it wasn't as good as Switzerland. So I'll just let it go. Uh, <laughs> And I don't have any transitions here. Um, Gene, Gene, what did you, you well, but, you you already talked about your, your, no, your horrible column on the dark side. So. Well, no, but that was last week. But I can oh, okay. say that I did write a great column on seven technologies law students never learn about in law school. But what I wanted to, this week's story, I, I'm actually uh, 
jumping onto Bob's story about case text and their research, because I didn't write my story yet, but I did have an interview with Pablo about how they have evolved parallel search into a wonderful new, um, very flexible kind of search that can be used on all kinds of documents. And Bob, you actually did write a story about it. So I'll let you continue. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, case text has developed this, this, uh, incredibly uh, powerful uh, neural network based concept search tool. I mean, what, you know, it's been, it's been out there for a while. They, it was, they, they had originally put it up as what are they calling it? We search, I think. And then uh, again, uh, with now all, the all search, now it's all search it, it, again, in part, uh, I think we have Jared Leto to thank for that. And uh, the, we work mini series because suddenly didn't want to call it we anything anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, what pretty much all natural language search is still based on keywords. Uh, and, and, uh, this is pure concept search in a sense that, uh, you can, you can type in search queries in which none of the words in your query match any of the words in the document. Uh, and yet still that document can come up if the, if, if the concepts match, and Bob, uh, did he yeah. show you the Enron example? Because I asked him to count how many different variations. Like you, you write a phrase like, I feel uncomfortable. And it comes up like, like people from Enron saying they didn't like what was going on. It would pick up things like, this is sort of shady. And uh, I'm, I'm not able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. And I, I, he, I don't think you showed me that one, but I did. I, I remember when they first put up WeSearch, which was kind of the beta version of this. Uh, what I did is I uploaded the entire corpus of my above the law columns <laughs> to it. And, and I performed some weird random searches against my above the law columns to see what would happen. Uh, but of course, that's not a good example. But I mean, now, not basically what they have done now is put this out there. Any uh, Anybody can upload any corpus of documents. I mean, they see it being used for uh, e-discovery, for contracts, for KM. I mean, any number of uh, applications. And the other cool thing about it is you can search either your just your document corpus alone, or you can search across all of the corpus, corpus I, corpi, whatever that you've uploaded. Uh, and you can also search across uh, primary and secondary law at the same time with the same query. Uh, so it really, uh, in court, it really uh, brings together, you know, sort of traditional legal research with uh, with with document and knowledge management type search and e-discovery search all into a single powerful tool. So it's very, very cool. And, you know, Case Text uh, does it again. I mean, it, Case Text has been so innovative uh, over the last few years in terms of new products. And uh, they, they've kind of set, set the agenda for the larger research companies to follow. Uh, so uh, they did it again. Yeah, and there still isn't anyone out there with a, with something coming close to the power of that search, you know, because I think that's how I sort of uh, track the evolution of legal technology is like when, when a small innovator does something, how many years does it take the big guys to catch up? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Depends on how much uh, private equity funding they have to buy the little guy. <laughs> yeah. Because you can uh, do that. Yeah. Uh, the Facebook strategy. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and 
Well, and, you know, you cannot comment on this, Steve, but I've always said that's kind of the ABA tech show strategy these days. Like, I feel like ABA tech show is largely a shopping for little innovators who are like, we've got an idea, we've got a startup alley idea, and people are like, yep, okay, we'll buy you soon. I have officially no comment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, who, someone, someone liken. Uh, I don't remember what I was reading, but someone likened Startup Alley to basically like a meat market. I don't. I don't, I don't remember who wrote that, but I, I remember thinking oh, that, that's a good analogy. Wait a minute. Probably me. Uh, <laughs> I, I have thought that for a like while. Jeff. And well, and and I actually have argued in the past. I wrote an article some, uh, a few years ago that ABA Tech Show I thought was like that, and I thought that was a good thing. I feel like that is something that is valuable. Uh, we do need a situation where everyone can be showcased these companies and see the, you know, see them and, uh, and invest and or buy. And so I was like, you know what, maybe we need to just rethink this show. Every, and I wrote it after I heard a bunch of people complaining that like, oh, well, nobody's here to, to buy the software as a user. And I was like, yeah, but I've also talked to a bunch of companies who are like looking at Startup Alley as something to acquire. Like maybe, maybe it has a value other than just a lawyer buys it for their firm, you know? Anyway. You know, well, the Consumer Electronics Show for years has had yeah. a separate uh, exhibit hall devoted to startups, which is really, you know, I haven't been in a couple, well, I haven't had it for a couple of years this year, but um, really it's, it's some of the more interesting stuff and bizarre stuff that you can imagine that is in this huge hallway of all these startups. So, you know, if that's what's going on, it's not a bad thing. Uh, frankly, I mean, that's, if you draw more people to the market, you draw more innovation. I mean, let's face it, it's, it's what a lot of startups are there for. Absolutely. Well, I never thought of it as a meat market quite, but I guess it is. I, you know, I, what's interesting about Startup Alley is how many of those companies have gone on to great things. It's been a, it's, it's fun. I, I had done a, a like a follow-up of the very first year of Startup Alley, and I keep meaning to go back and do every other year just to kind of track what happened to the companies. But uh, a lot of uh, a lot of them have been very, very successful. So that's a good thing. Well, and you, you know, and you know, it's, it's the old "what if" question, but or, or "but for" question, or but, but for Startup Alley, what might have happened to some of those companies? Um, Long term, it's no way of ever answering it, but it doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, just need to see it. in the chat. Apparently, is uh, Horace Wu's company is also using uh, uh, the same, uh, more or less the same uh, sort of uh, neural net technology that 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 Case Text is based on as well, which is the the Google uh, developed technology. Bert. So, uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Well, so Victor, you had you had a story this week too. I'm ignoring Nikki because she's got, she's had her moment of glory here, even without having said anything. But well, and I just added a story because just in case, I figured we'd. Yeah. I wasn't planning to really do a story of my own this week, so just put it in there to be a participatory. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I I I thought it was interesting this week when at the EU. Um, um, you know, issued its issued, issued its edict saying, uh, standardizing uh, USB ports for all uh, portable devices by uh, they're implemented within twenty by twenty twenty four. They say all all portable devices, all all powered devices and whatnot have to have to go to the USB C 
um, uh, protocol, which um, which is which is which is fine for like all non-Apple users, but for Apple users, like pretty much, <laughs> you're pretty much screwed. Um, which uh, I, I thought was interesting, just because like like just it, it, you know, it kind of shows it kind of shows like you know the the the, the, th the things that like the EU is capable of that you know other other countries you know they wouldn't wouldn't be able to do that you know um, I thought it was interesting just they were, that they were just able to. Um, um, you know, I mean, as someone who's not as familiar with like EU protocol and like their procedures and whatnot, I thought it was interesting how they could just, you know, set the standard and 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 then force companies to have to comply to it and whatnot. And you know, it, it it's great for consumers. It's great for um for people who you know are sick of carrying all those adapters with them and don't don't even know from like country to country like which ones will work and which ones won't work. Um, and you know, for Apple, I guess yeah, they they gotta they gotta think about what they want to do with this, like whether or not. I mean, they'll probably, they'll probably have to either make some kind of converter. A conversion like some kind of converter uh you know uh available for the users or even god forbid you know abandoned lightning which which i i don't know if they'd be willing to do that so it'll be interesting like it definitely says, says a lot of um interesting possibilities and and yeah it, it's good for consumers and it really you know is good for um for uh it, it, it kind of shows like sort of like the regulatory um mechanism of uh, and, and possibilities of, of of a conglomerate like the eu so i thought it was interesting it's good yeah, it's. I, I would push back a little bit oh, on that because oh, you know, okay. I, you say it's good for consumers, but uh, but the same token, what happens if if somebody comes along with better technology? You know, I mean, that's 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 the the you know that's what happens in technology. Somebody comes along with a better piece of technology for charging, but now with this edict, the you know you have virtually so, no chance of getting it to market. So, so there, I don't know so if there's it's good a carve out or not. There's actually a carve out for that. Uh, and it, like I saw a lot of the pushback on it on in social media was uh, around the idea like, well, you know, like basically like, oh, you agree to whale oil and then somebody invents a light bulb. What are you going to do? But there, then someone who uh, that was what a lot of American based tech journalists were saying, but a European based tech journalist uh, that I follow on Twitter pointed out. There's a carve out for technological advancement that if you have something that can actually produce, you know, do a better job efficiency wise than they had like benchmarks and whatever, you could get exceptions. And the, the system also, not only is it good for consumers because Apple is absolutely trying to be monopolistic in the same way Microsoft was in the 90s by saying, oh, oh this is our proprietary way of charging. Uh, not only is it good for consumers, it's also good for the environment according to the EU study. The EU study worked out that there was something, some like, 20% gains in like the landfill space that won't be filled by not having useless cables between people. Uh, there will be more opportunity for people to move from one platform to another, which is the whole monopolistic problem that was always the Microsoft issue. Like it, part of the reason I don't get a different kind of phone is I've got a 8 million Apple cables here, right? Like if I didn't have that, maybe I would. Uh, all, of, all of these little other reasons were in there, and they did have some carve-outs that were well thought out about the opportunities for advancement. Now, you're right, it does kind of chill. It, it chills a little bit the impetus to advance because there's not really a monopolistic rent-seeking reason to come up with some new technology that only you get to have. So that does chill it a little bit but 
if you well, have I, a new I thing, you can what, ask. I, mean, I, I don't know, too. I mean, you say technologically advancement. What if you just come up with something that's just slower but cheaper? I mean, I might want slower but cheaper, you know? I mean, uh, so I don't know. It's it, it is it is a good debate anyway about whether yeah. it's a good thing or a bad thing. I, you know, I'm an Apple user, and personally, I wish they would go to the USB-C. I, I'd much rather have that and get rid of all the lightning cables and you know be done with it. But uh, yes. but to sort of just have to have to do it as the only option, I, I don't know, kind of rubs me the wrong way. But anyway. So See, what the, I'm getting with the is the big bucks you're earning from being on the show. Android. Why would you want a cheaper cable? I don't know. Nope. Wait, <laughs> yeah, wait, right. Zach. Oh, I was just going to say, everyone join me on Android Island. Come to the dark side. <laughs> this is where you should be. I actually <laughs> read an article once that half the people who don't buy Androids are Android based systems are just, I don't want to be the green text. I want to have the blue text on that. It, like it's so superficial, but I don't want to be a green text. Like that sounds like that sounds like a fate worse than death. See, the case for me, I didn't care about that for a long time, but reactions would always show up weird. And like when I had group text where everybody else was on Apple and I was the only Android, that would be a problem. But they fixed that one. So now I don't did, care as much. Did, did they show up weird or did people just like lie to you about what their reaction was? <laughs> well, unless they were typing in the chat like Joe liked this message, then okay. yes, they were showing up weird. All right. Well, uh, Joe, uh, we didn't nah, get to your story. I, you you want to tell it in two minutes or uh, or should we just? No, no. I mean, mine is somewhat evergreen and barely tech related. So yeah, no, um, that's, that, that's good. All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, thanks to Nikki for uh, actually uh, helping to arrange having those guests on. Uh, and it was great to hear from them and get to get to ask some questions. So and congratulations. Um, you too. It sounds like a dynamite uh, combination. So yeah, no, um, cool. you, you, you've gone from employee number one at Clio to employee like 500 something at, at a fair Good case. job. Or no, my, my case. Yeah, Clio. Case. <laughs> yeah. Or by the way, by the way, maybe Joe knows something. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. At my case. And you know why that happened? Uh, for those who are not watching this show live, Joshua Lennon just put something in the chat as it was as we got there and uh i just saw his name and just like went with it uh but yes at my case yes but you went from employee one to employee 500 something that's uh my real issue well, it's just uh, been exciting it's the third acquisition um and as, as soon as i learned about this i was giddy because i thought i think it's like a perfect combination and a perfect pairing and i just feel like there's so much possibility and i at this point i feel like a boat that's just i'm on a boat it's called my case and I'm like along for the ride and exciting things keep happening. And so I'm just going to stay on here and see what happens. I, I'm very excited about the possibilities in the future though. That's really cool. So is your title still evangelist? Legal technology evangelist. Yes. They haven't changed your title, but now you're the evangelist for <laughs> you're the Affina evangelist as opposed to the <laughs> Affina, Affina fam, Affina evangelist. Affina <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it uh, changes over time, evolves. But thanks, though. Right. Uh, all right. Well, th uh, thanks to everybody. And it's uh, been a great conversation. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. See ya. Bye. Bye.